This is Dish and Dirt with Gary Pickering, South Carolina's only podcast dedicated to the real estate agent's craft. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dish and Dirt. This week is going to be a really good episode. We are talking about fair housing in light of some of the lunacy that we are seeing today over words that we can't use that have always been used that have no derogatory meaning whatsoever. Uh, it is getting crazy out there for you guys, and that's actually where I'm not supposed to use. But uh, it literally is getting crazy out there for some of the words that people are saying you should not use in marketing and advertising in the house. So what we're going to talk about today is federal fair housing. What are the protected classes? Uh, what are words that you should not be using? What are some phrases that are allowed uh, under HUD rules? And so we'll spend a little time doing that. Then we're going to have a special segment on As Gary Sees It, because there's a big thing that is going on right now in social media with real estate agents that needs to be addressed. So hopefully you will stay with us and listen to that. Uh, portion of our podcast. And of course, we will finish up with a very short and abbreviated version of Gary's Good News Only. So let's get to fair housing and advertising today. As I said earlier, this is a topic that I continue to get lots and lots of emails and questions about. And regardless of where you sit in today's world, I think all of us would 100% agree that common sense is no longer part of our lives. It is craziness on both sides And when it comes to reasonableness and general understanding of each other, that seems to be just completely out the window. And so let's look at, before we talk about fair housing, where the insanity of this has gone to. Because it's very important to understand how extreme this has gotten, to understand that your risks are growing in your marketing and advertising. So the University of Michigan, which is one of the greatest universities in the country, have come out with this inclusive language list. It was called the Words Matter Task Force. And once this list went out, it has been panned around the world as to the lunacy of how language has become, where everything is offensive and everything is objectionable. And so you have to kind of understand in order to understand fair housing and things you should be able to say and things you shouldn't be able to say, you got to understand how far this is going because your risk grows immensely every time you open your mouth today. So according to the University of Michigan, their Words Matter Task Force, you should not use any words that end in men or man. So like you saw the lunacy the other day in the Capitol where somebody said amen and then finish it up with a woman. Never mind the word amen is not even a gender word. It means so be it or it's Hebrew. But it certainly isn't a gender word. So now the University of Michigan says things like man hours need to become person hours. I mean, the linguistic tongue twisting of this is getting silly. You should not be able to use words like blacklist or whitelist. You should use allowed and prohibited. They also say the word brown bag should be lunch and learn because now the color of the bag is offensive. Uh, You cannot use the word crazy or insane. Obviously, you would not try to use that to describe somebody as crazy or insane, but you can't even say, wow, that's crazy or wow, that's insane. So when you're talking to your client and they get a crazy or insane counter offer back, I guess you're supposed to say that's unthinkable or nonsensible or incomprehensible. Maybe you can even say it's egregious or irrational. You're not supposed to use the word crippled. Now, crippled, I understand you would not describe somebody as crippled. That would not be proper. But you can't even say that you've been crippled in what you're trying to do because of an outside source. You're supposed to be deteriorated. Your ability to do something was deteriorated. There's other words such as grandfathered. 
Uh, I, I guess maybe even grandfather clock is now wrong. It's supposed to be legacy status. Other words they use, you're not supposed to use girl, boy, gal, or guy. I don't know how you are to describe somebody. Um, long time no see is one that surprises me. You're supposed to say, it's been a while. I'm not sure how long time no see is offensive to anybody, but according to the University of Michigan, it's offensive, so you're supposed to be, it's been a while. Can't say you're a native South Carolinian, uh, or the word native. I mean, we use the word native in IT all the time, but it's supposed to be built-in or innate, so I guess you're a built-in South Carolinian. My favorite one was picnic. I never knew that picnic was offensive, but now we're supposed to have a gathering. So you can't even tell somebody that, look at the area across the street where you could go picnic with your family. You should be able to say, you can go across the street and have a gathering. So these are some of the words that the University of Michigan finds now offensive, which are nothing more than common language and have no offensive backstory to them. It's not like the word blacklist or whitelist was used in a a racist way, if you look at the history of the word, but we're not supposed to use those words. So as we look at this now, we really have to look at our advertising and fair housing and see what does the federal law and what does the state law allow of you, because they haven't gone this far, but could this be around the corner? As I've said many times in the past, if you want to discriminate in your business, We would prefer you just get the hell out of our business because there's just no area for you in this business. Any form of discrimination in housing is abhorrent, and it it cannot be uh, tolerated. Assuming that everybody in our industry isn't that, and we're trying to navigate through this craziness of oversensitivity of words such as, or phrases, long time no see now is somehow offensive, Let's look at fair housing under federal and state law and see what it is we can and cannot do. So since the late 1960s and the 1970s, the United States laws have been very consistent. Every person should have the same opportunity to purchase, lease, or occupy residential property without regard to their race, color, religion, national origin, sex, familial status, or disability. The intent of these laws has never been to create integrated communities. I hate when people say, yes, but we have little Italy or we have uh, sections of San Francisco, New York that are very uh, related to, to race. So how is that not a violation? It's never been the intent of fair housing to eliminate uh, neighborhoods such as Little Italy or Chi- uh, Chinatown, and, but it has been to, and it's not been to enforce or to force integration. It has to open up the doors to everyone, regardless of those protected classes, and to protect everybody the right to buy or live where they want based on those protected classes. Now, the term protected classes originally meant minority. That used to be what it meant. It meant a smaller part of a group. But today, the appropriate fair housing term is protected classes. So what are our protected classes under federal law? Well, protected classes are those classes that can be identified by certain characteristics that in the past resulted in unequal or unfavorable treatment. So what are the classes? Number one, in 1968, we passed race, color, religion, national origin. In 1974, rather, they added sex. And in 1988, they added familial status and handicap, which is now known as disability. You can also add to that age, citizenship, and veteran status. Now, apart from federally protected classes, there may be some state protected classes, such as marital status and arrest and court record status. But understand, those last ones are not truly protected classes under fair housing. They are protected under employment and other issues. But as a real estate agent, you should not discriminate against veteran status, age, and citizenship. 
Before we move on, let's talk about what is familial status, because that's a question that a lot of agents ask. Many people don't even realize that it's illegal to treat families with children differently from households without children. And that's what we're talking about with familial status. HUD defines familial status as a household that includes a parent or custodial guardian with at least one person in the household under the age of 18. So it's not just biological parents. It's just not, it's not even uh, legally adopted uh, children of a parent. It includes those with custodial guardianships. Now, HUD has indicated that a pregnant woman is protected under familial status, as are foster parents. One of the questions I typically get when we discuss the familial status protected class is, well, how about these housing developments that are for people over the age of 55? Well, that would fall under the Housing for Older Persons Act, which is known as the HOPA Act. And this act allows housing communities or facilities to exclude occupancy by children when the property is specifically designed for uh, seniors and all occupants are 62 years of age or older, or the community meets the following requirements. And those requirements are intended for occupancy of persons 55 or older. At least 80% of the occupied units must be one person older than 55 years of age per unit. Management must indicate policies and procedures that demonstrate the intent to provide housing only for those 55 and older. And the facilities must comply with rules established by the HUD Secretary of for verification of occupancy. Plus, there are also rules on how they have to go about verifying A. So that is allowed and is not a discriminatory act. We also need to address housing discrimination in persons identifying as LGBTQ. Interestingly, the Fair Housing Act does not address discrimination against people based on sexual orientation as it is not one of the named seven protected classes. However, in the Bostick case that came out June of 2020, the Supreme Court of the United States said it was discrimination in employment uh, matters to discriminate somebody based on how they identify. Now, what the court did is they took one of the seven classes, the class of sex, and they expanded that and said that when they meant uh, that you may not discriminate based on someone's sex, that that would include sexual orientation. That does not address the matter of how that applies to the Federal Housing Act. However, on HUD's own website at HUD.gov, they state that they believe that that is a violation of the class, protected class of sex to discriminate based on someone's LGBTQ status. There is also HUD equal access rule as well as state and local anti-discrimination laws that may apply. The short of the matter is don't discriminate based on someone's sexual orientation and you'll be fine. Now that we know of the lunacy of some of the words that we're not allowed to say, according to the University of Michigan, but now we also know the seven protected classes as well as those other matters that may have been extended or expanded upon, rather, in these classes, let's look at our advertising guidelines as it sits under the Fair Housing Act. First and foremost, it's unlawful to make, print, publish, or cause to be made, printed, or published any notice statement, or advertisement with respect to the sale or rental of a dwelling that indicates any preference, limitation, or discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, or national origin, or an intent to make such preference, limitation, or discrimination. This applies to internet advertising, business cards, flyers, brochures, billboards, mailing, railroad, uh, radio, TV ads, business cards, and signs. And not only can the person creating the ad get in trouble, but so can the publisher and the advertiser be held liable for the discriminatory advertising. The internet aspect of that is very important because that does include social media such as Facebook, 
Instagram, and things of that nature. So let's look at words to avoid. Now, some of this is just common sense, but some of it might be things that you're not aware of. First and foremost, we do not use words descriptive of the dwelling landlord or the tenant, such as white, private home, Jewish neighborhood, Hispanic residence, adult building, things of that nature. Any words basically that are indicative of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, familial status, or disability. Don't use Protestant home, Christian home, Catholic home, Jewish home, Muslim home, Mexican-Americans, Polish-Americans, Irish, Hispanic, Latino, any word of that nature in your description. Same thing using words based on sex. Anything that would intend to imply that housing is only available to one sex or the other or uh, discriminates based on LGBTQ status. For disability, it's very important to understand you can provide information about the availability of accessible housing when advertising. So you can advertise that there's a ramp or there is um, special handicap bars or things of that nature to assist someone. That is fine. Do not use catchwords that could be considered discriminatory, such as restricted or exclusive, maybe private or integrated, even words like traditional. Certainly don't use board approved or membership approved. And please do not use this. I see this all the time. Ideal for active and healthy people. That's discriminatory against people who are not active and are not healthy, which could be disabilities. Avoid using symbols or logo types that could also uh, imply a protected class, such as a cross or a six-pointed star or a crescent in a star or no wheelchairs and things of that nature. The other thing that tends to get people in trouble are directions to real estate uh, using certain descriptions that would, by their very nature, notify the consumer that it's maybe in an area that is a minority area or the area is based on an area of certain type of worship, such as where near or around the synagogue or around the parish or the mosque. Those words tend to be words that could imply neighborhoods or a certain faith or a certain race. And the same thing goes for area location or descriptions. Try to avoid naming facilities that cater to particular races, national origin, or religious groups. Now, there are some acceptable words, according to HUD, that might give you pause, but they shouldn't. So, for instance, you may say family room, master bedroom, though that word seems to have come on several uh, hit lists of several different websites. You can even say things such as Japanese garden, because a Japanese garden is a very particular type of garden. But don't call something a Japanese garden just because it's a garden. Make sure it's, in fact, designed as a Japanese garden. Private driveway is fine. Walk-in closet. You may advertise a number of bedrooms, sleeping areas, or nurseries. You may say could be a great nursery because that's promoting family. You can discuss the views or the overlooks. You can talk about exec- being an executive community. You may use words like secluded, private setting, quality neighborhood. You may discuss jogging trails, quiet streets, secluded areas, wooded settings. You may actually talk about qualified senior housing provided it meets the HOPA standards. Kids welcome, great neighborhood for kids, that's all fine. Desirable neighborhoods is also fine. Remember, advertising something that is positive for a family, great place to raise a family, is promoting familial status. It is not uh, denigrating it, so you certainly can do that. Other areas of concern would be selecting certain publications that only target certain areas uh, or demographics. So be careful in selecting only magazines that cater only to a particular religious affiliation or a particular race or color. That's not to say that if you have a, if you're Jewish and you have a Jewish magazine at your synagogue that you cannot advertise, 
it is saying that make sure that your advertisement is not exclusive to one particular religion or race. The other thing to look at is your photos. It is legal to put pictures of humans in your photo. And that is a very effective way to market properties, including people of people, pictures of people enjoying the area, having a good time, looking like they uh, love where they live. But sometimes these photos can be subtle indications of a particular race or color of a desired buyer. So today, your human model should represent all possible groups to indicate that housing is available to anyone regardless of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, familial status, disability. If you have just one picture, it is fine to have just two Caucasians in the picture. That should not be every time you have a picture. You should change it up and have people of different races and ethnicities in your advertisement. If you have a brochure that has 10 or 15 pictures of different families and every single picture is a picture of one race, then that starts to be problematic. So again, use your common sense and make sure that you're showing a wide variety of people of all races, religion, national origin, and colors. As I mentioned earlier, affirmative marketing is always allowed. Uh, You may affirmatively advertise in favor of people with children or people with disabilities. So if there is a neighborhood that would be perfect for someone with a disability or would be perfect for, for children, that is perfectly fine and that is not discriminatory. And the last area you need to be concerned about is in the past, real estate agents might try to take notes when they get a cold call or an email lead and make notes as to what they believe the person's race is or sex is or religion is based on the conversation. And agents would go as far as to make notes in their file. Do not do that. Because if a grievance is ever filed against you for a housing discrimination claim, and they look in your file and they see these notes, that is indicative of somebody who might be discriminating based on race, religion, national origin, color. None of that matters when you're trying to sell real estate, so it doesn't matter what race or color someone is or what sex they are. So having those notes is really nonsensical anyway. So don't do that. So the big question I get now is so that we now kind of have an idea of the words we can use and we can't use and we should and we shouldn't use. So how does this come about? How, why should I even be worried about this? Well, the reason it is is because there are fair housing groups all over the country that their entire job is to scour the internet and other forms of advertisement looking for any form of discrimination. And if they run across your ad in a newspaper or a TV or the internet and they find that they or they believe that your ad in any form or fashion is discriminatory, then these organizations take it upon themselves to file grievance against you with the State Human Affairs Commission or with HUD or with other federal or state agencies. And so you have to understand that you're advertisement is being watched and analyzed every single time you put it out there. So word to the wise, before you put it out there, look at it and make sure that you're not discriminating in any form or fashion. Um, Even if it's unintended discrimination, it's discrimination. Make sure that you're not and make sure that you are clear on that. Now, in future episodes, we will get a little bit more in detail about fair housing and how uh, what could happen if you have a claim against you. But for today, that's where the, those were the items I wanted to go over. And now a new feature to our show called As Gary Sees It. And As Gary Sees It today, we're going to talk about your advertisement on social media because it really rolls into our topic today. Every single real estate agent out there needs to understand a couple of truths. Truth number one is you are your own personal brand. Everything about you is your brand. My brand, as people know it, is I love the Cleveland Browns. 
I love baseball, which is the Atlanta Braves baseball. I love great craft beers. And for some strange reason, I like The Bachelor. And so everybody in my industry knows those are really four things about my brand and who I am. Now, your brand can be anything it wants to be. But you need to understand that your social media presence, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it may be, that is your personal brand. And when agents tell me, oh, I don't have a business page, I have a personal page, quit fooling yourself. You don't have a thousand friends in this world. You may have 30, you may have 40. Most of us have three or four good friends. All those thousand people who follow you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, those aren't your friends. Those are your business colleagues or those are people you are trying to get business from. So first and foremost, understand every real estate have an agent has a personal brand. It's you. Secondly, your social media is an extension of your personal brand. So with that being said, here it is. His Gary sees it. Stop it. Please, for the love of God, stop it. I don't know what you are doing with your marketing and advertising with all of the crap y'all are putting on social media. It is absolutely insanity to see the stuff, political, race, and otherwise, that people are putting on Facebook and Instagram, particularly in the since, I guess, November. But here's what you also have to understand, which is hard truth number three. This state of South Carolina voted 55% for one candidate and 45% or thereabout for the other candidate. So which one of those two do you want to piss off the most? Do you want to piss off 55% of your clients or potential clients, or do you want to piss off 45% of your potential clients? Personally, I don't want to piss off any of them because those two make up 100% of potential clients for me. So you need to understand that all of this stuff that in vitriol and what would have happened if this group would have done this or this group didn't do this or how horrible these people are or what should happen to these people or what would have happened if these people did this, that's fine and dandy. Have those conversations. I understand it's important stuff, but you need to understand what your mother always told you. You don't discuss race, religion, sex, and politics at the kitchen table. And unfortunately for real estate agents, as well as for closing attorneys, as for mortgage lenders, where we work is social media. We advertise and market on social media. So whenever you post something on your quote unquote personal website, you are posting it in your job. You're posting it where you are marketing and where you're asking people to send you business. So if you want to piss off 55% or 45% of your potential base of referrers, Keep doing what you're doing because it's great because it's pissing off everybody. Because when one of you posts something on there, I look at the 50 comments of how 30 people agree with you and 20 people hate your guts now. And those 20 people who hate your guts are never going to send you business. And they may be your friends, but now they don't think like you anymore. So they're not going to send you business. You want to have principles. That's great. And if you're, but you got to understand that 55% or 45%, they also have principles. And so when you call them names or tell them their positions, or ridiculous, or they're narrow-minded, or don't understand, or stupid, or whatever, their principles are going to tell them not to do business with you. So what I'm telling you today, as Gary sees it, is please, please stop posting stuff. If you want to post that stuff, have a private Facebook page, and you can lament with your friends all you want to. But understand, if you're in real estate, real estate mortgage lending, real estate agents, real estate attorneys, and you go out and you post something that is considered the least bit political least bit involving race, least bit revolving around religion or sex, you're just cutting your own throat. And that's how I see it. And now to a very short abbreviated version of Gary's Good News Only. 
Some really good COVID stuff out there I wanted to share today. As most of y'all already know, a resident age 70 or older can now begin scheduling an appointment to receive the COVID-19 vaccine starting January 13th, which was Wednesday of this week. There are 146,500 doses of the Pfizer vaccine in South Carolina with 82,266 total doses already administered for a 56% utilization rate. Governor Henry McMaster stated that we know that those 70 and older are at the greatest risk of dying from COVID, and he cited that DHEC reports 67% of COVID deaths in South Carolina have been among those 70 and older. There are estimated 627,800 South Carolinians who are age 70 or older in the state, and many have already received their vaccination through the phase one eligibility. So they are now opening up the vaccine for everyone over 70. And that is certainly great news for the people that are truly at risk, which is our senior citizens. And to tie into that, let's look at what CDC just published this week, which I know you won't find on any news reports because it is positive news. First of all, the real IFR, which is the infection fatality rate, is 0.22%, 0.22%. That means of everybody who got COVID and tested positive, 0.22% actually passed away from it. Now, Fauci many times has said that the number of people who've gotten COVID is eight to 10 times the number of people who actually have positive tests. So if that's true, then the the infection fatality rate is even less than that because you have to add all those people who weren't tested in So the number of people who died from people who actually had COVID is much, much lower than that. The interesting thing is this number, even as it sits, is five times lower than what Fauci and the so-called experts told us earlier, and it's only two times that of the flu, and statistically that basically means nothing. So let's look at the IFR of certain age groups. If you're zero to four, the IFR was 0.0017. So anybody under the age of four who got COVID only 0.0017% of them passed away. From 5 to 17, it was 0.001%. And not until you even get from 18 to 49, is it 0.02%. That's two one-hundredths of 1% of people who had tested positive for COVID. Not even who got COVID, but those who tested positive. So the number is minuscule. Now, any death is horrible. We don't want any deaths. But we're trying to put this into perspective here, 0.02%. Now, when you look at 50 to 64, you only are at 0.21%, so you're only at two-tenths of 1%. And it's not until you hit 65 that the IRF is 1.79%. If you listen to the media, you would believe, as I think a lot of people believe, that people are dropping in the streets left and right, and it's tens and tens of thousands of people every single second of the day. It's simply not true. The IFR rate for the entire age of all ages is only 0.22%. That's every single person who got COVID, only 0.22% died. Please understand, any death is one death too many. But when you compare the IRFs to the flu, um, for 65 and over, it's 0.856, which statistically is very little difference. But overall, the IRF symptomatic cases, the IRF is 0.136 for the flu compared to 0.220 for COVID. Statistically, it's very little to no difference. So that's very important to understand. That's Gary's good news only for you today. I hope everybody enjoyed our show today on fair housing. We'll try to do some more on that as well. If you like this podcast, we ask that you please like us, share us, but most importantly, to subscribe to us because we are trying to grow this into a statewide podcast. 
Our numbers are very good, and we really appreciate everybody that's listening. So please share this with agents, you know, throughout the whole all of South Carolina so that we can continue to grow this. We'll see you next week.